Chapter Thirteen of Laughter Limited. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. Laughter Limited by Nina Wilcox Putnam. Chapter Thirteen. It happened for some reason that Axel wasn't with me, and I was walking along the boulevard alone when I heard Anita's voice calling. I turned around in my tracks, and there slowing up at the curb was a baby blue automobile as big as a bungalow with solid nickel wheels, a colored chauffeur, and Anita seated alone in the tonneau. Hello, Bonnie, she says. Hop in the boat, honey, and let me drop you where you are going. Hurry, dear, I got a call for nine o'clock. So have I, I says a little coldly, but getting in with her just the same, at Art Life. Stop at the Art Life Studios, James, says Anita to the driver. Then she turned to me. So glad you are working, dear, she says. I was afraid after that night out at the beach you would be in thoroughly wrong. Oh no, says I, it didn't hurt me any, I guess. Where is your call, Anita? Why, I'm in with Muro, says Anita, opening her pale eyes very wide. Didn't you know? Not me, says I. Whose boat is this? It's mine, she says. Pretty poor, eh? I'm getting three hundred a week, and I expect to get seven when this contract runs out. Good Lord was the best I could think of to say. Suddenly Anita dropped the little silver box she was carrying, the same one she had unconsciously taken out of her purse before on the day of that party when she talked to me about going. Well, she dropped it anyways and seized hold of my hands instead. Don't be sore at me, Bonnie, she says. I like you better than any girl I know. I'm having a, a wonderful time, and we each got to live our life and get our jobs in our own way. But please be friends with me. I want you to be friends. Oh, Anita, I says. Don't say it in a tone like that. It ain't fair. Somehow you make me feel so sorry for you. But asking me to be won't let you out of your responsibility to yourself. I'll be friends, of course. This car, she says eagerly, as if justifying herself for something I had not accused her of, I have bought it on time. I will pay for it out of my salary on installments. Oh, Anita, I says, which may look like a limited expression, but don't necessarily sound flat when you come to say it. And then we was at my studio. Where are you living, she says. I want to come and see you if you don't mind. I told her the address and said yes, do come, because that seemed the only thing I could do. And then I stood and watched the beautiful big blue car drive away, and laughed at myself to think I had anything to offer to its near owner. I felt sick and puzzled and worried again, the way a person always does when they run smack up against that sort of thing in this man's business. But I didn't look after Anita long. Pretty soon I give myself a good shake and says, Here, B. McFadden, you poor dumbbell. You were in the pictures yourself, and ten a day is sixty a week, and overtime every night is one hundred and twenty iron men. What are you kicking about? And then, after that, I come down to earth, and the long crowded dressing room hurried on my makeup and costume and went out on the set. But meeting Anita that way gave me a depression that kept hanging over me. I got so absorbed in the lowdown I hardly knew what I was doing on the lot that morning and when after lunch we was held up while a party of visitors went over the set, I at first paid no attention to them. I ordinarily would have done so, however, because visitors on a set where someone is working is absolutely against the laws of any self-respecting studio, and never allowed unless they are the Elks or New Capital or something. I was leaning against a cafe, which is antique French for saloon, 
because this picture was written before prohibition and listening in a dumb sort of way to axel telling me how silvermount was on the rocks financially which was by now stale to me i was more absorbed in saying to myself i hate the pictures how can i get out of them and why did i ever get myself into such a hole anyways than in listening to him anybody who is in pictures does the same at least once a week well i was standing that way when all of a sudden i get a jolt by axel saying look that band benny silvermount himself with the party i took a look then all right and it was not big benny who caught and held my attention but milton sherrill until i saw him i didn't know any man could make my heart leap so especially with his back turned to me but i knew him at once by those square shoulders the way he stood and the turn of his head well it hardly occurred to me to wonder what was he doing there on our lot he who had the lowdown on pictures to such a strong degree with him was trixie truman and her husband who was in costume and also in liquor as per usual the studio manager mr blunt and a fine-looking youngish man who was of course mr silvermount and they was all chinning and kidding along together without more than the merest casual glance at us poor atmosphere animals it was pretty plain to see that big benny and the trumans thought milton a big egg all right a queer little stab went through me as i saw trixie sort of pawing him over with her eyes he looked like a regular angel out of heaven to me and while it's the truth i would never in a thousand years have written to him and asked for the job he had offered me on the train seeing him made things entirely different he was my reserve i might get out of this nasty mess of a world i was in and go to real regular work that would pay me a real honest-to-god salary even if that work would never make me rich or famous but i stood there hesitating while time flew the visitors were getting ready to move along and the major and his assistants was getting ready to shoot then i decided i would go I would catch Milton and ask him. The visitors all started for the exit, he never seeing me, and with a big resolve strong in my heart I broke away from Axel and the pictures forever and started after him. Then all at once the voice of the director, of Major McGee himself, broke upon my ears with the very words of which I had dreamed so long. Come here, little girl, he says, you with the blonde curls, I want to speak to you. I stopped dead in my tracks. Yes, it was really me he wanted. I watched Milt and the others pass on off the set through a big arched portal that was the gate to the city of Paris, and I didn't mind seeing him go. I forgot every single bad thing I had just been thinking about to pictures. It was my chance. The Major had noticed me. I would get a bit, perhaps even a small part. What a poor weak fish I had been to doubt myself even for a moment. Smiling, I walked up to the Major, and he took hold of my chin and wiggled it while he shook a finger at me see here young woman he says you have on a rotten make-up the mascara from your eyes has run down all over your cheeks don't let me catch you on my set like that again jasper he added to one of the assistants who come by at that moment why the hell can't you see that this mob is made up decently and that was all unlike some people in pictures i realize that my public has got imagination and am willing to leave it to them how i felt as i walked away all through that afternoon the feeling stayed right by me and all through the first part of the night, too, when we worked on a fire set with the vivid artificial lights making a cold, silent furnace in the very middle of sleeping Hollywood. Ordinarily this working at night under the fierce glares, while the town gradually fell silent and the studio seemed like it was the only place in the world that was awake, struck my dramatic sense and excited me. But tonight nothing could have excited me. You probably know how it feels to make a fool of yourself, and I had done it twice in unusually quick succession and then at a little before midnight one of them wild rumors that circulates so swift and easy among a crowd of extras come alarmingly to my ears 
and was presently confirmed by axel i used here we bain gone ta be paid off he says mcgee bain through they have cut out some sequences from the picture and it makes them finished with us tonight but i thought he said we would work all next week i objected bewildered what they care for that he growled they used to change their minds that's all well that was bad enough we had all hoped for another week but things got even worse when up bounded the woman who dressed next to me the dogs she says in that angry half whisper which gets to be a sort of natural voice with atmosphere people the dogs they are only paying check and a half instead of double check the stingy brutes what does she mean axel i says anxiously is it that we only get time and a half for all this overtime why i thought of course it would be double everyone said so even mummer vell get out your contract and show it and make a fuss says axel with a sickly grin and of course that was a joke because extras can't get any more contracts than they can get credit from the grocer well i'll say i needed that thirty which i now wasn't going to get but i tried to smile that's it says axel yump along with your street things and we go by yon's for a sandwich and the help of a good strong coffee well we cashed in our check and a half and went along on our way leaving a seething angry cloud behind us we was both pretty thoughtful and why not with the prospect of walking the weary next day because it was by this time well into sunday morning in john's place was the usual crew some of which were awful wet and noisy and yelling for raw beef sandwiches and others like ourselves eating a little something hot after a hard night's work the low-ceilinged room swam in smoke both of broiling meat fried egg sandwiches and cigarettes everybody come there some time or another and it was to hollywood a sort of super dog wagon i don't know could heaven have looked any better to me late at night than john's used to and i lapped up the food which axel was so proud to buy me with all the eagerness of one who knows only too well that they will need all of their strength and must preserve it and then when we finished we stepped out again into the starlit perfect california night and commenced to walk slowly homewards stopping only to buy a couple of sunday morning papers from a early news bird and talking moodily but less so on account of the hot food when we come to our more or less own front door axel stopped short and give me a look of horror his hand as if paralyzed in his pocket may lord i forgot may key he says have you got your key bonnie i give a hasty look in my bag pawing through handkerchief lipstick and etc to no avail of course i haven't got it i says at last naturally not seeing how bad we need it then the two of us give an instinctive look together up towards the landlady's bedroom windows mummer slept at the back worse luck bonnie how much back rent you owe her says axel miserably four weeks i says without having to stop and think i owe her six says he you better wake her up and so it was me but two weeks or four was all the same to mrs snifter once she was waked from her natural just sleep she told the world as she let us in nice time of the morning to came in i must say she announced like we was a side show or something disreputable good-for-nothing picture people up drinking and dancing all night and then expecting decent working folks to get up out of their sleep and wait on them oh hush mrs snifter please i says you'll wake mummer and what if i do she shouted what do i care if she sleeps on a bed that ain't been paid for in four weeks or lies awake on it it ain't only that you ain't paid your debts miss bonnie delane but you have been out all night every night this week yes i know working i'll thank you to either pay up or get out not later than tomorrow with which hot one she banged into her own room leaving me and axel unable to say a single word on account of not being in any position to when i got into my own room and turned on the light and pulled out the bed and sat on the edge of it to sort of train it that way 
because I never could learn to trust it. Well, I sat there a few minutes having a hard think. Just exactly what was I going to do? Nobody had ever been able before this to say I owed them money, and now it was true. If I gave Snifter my whole paycheck, it would just about square us with her, but we would not be able to eat, and there was no prospects in sight. Adele was broke, I knew. I couldn't fail her, not after all she had done for me, but we must have money quick. It was all bunk the way we kitted ourselves and got what credit we could on mere hopes and dreams and elaborate bluffs. Oh, I needed advice, and I needed it at once. When I thought of this, I thought somehow of Milton Sherrill, and getting up I dug his photo out of the bureau draw where it had been ever since I left the hotel. I had sort of forgotten Milt until that afternoon, but now I set him up in his place again and talked to that picture of him just like I used to back home, and as usual he give me good advice. And believe me, that's all getting good advice ever is, realizing something and facing it honest as you can. Milt, I says, what would you say I'd better do? Go to work at something? I thought so. What then? Anything honest to tide over this crisis? All right. But clerking, which is the only thing I know, won't keep both me and Mummer. I won't write to you because that would mean giving up pictures, and I won't give them up, but we have got to eat. What then? Well, I swear it seemed as if the eyes of that photograph turned. You know the way eyes in a real good photograph sometimes seem to? I followed where I thought they was looking and saw the morning papers. The help wanted column, of course. Right away I picked it up and started to read. Now when I come to this part of my story, I was going to put in what scenario writers call a sequence, which is a section of the continuity from which a movie is actually shot. And this sequence was going to show a full close-up of me reading the fatal ad and registering decision, then a subtitle reading next day, and after that I was going to iris in to a long shot of me going to answer the ad, dressed in my very plainest clothes and no makeup. Then a medium close-up of me ringing the doorbell of a big house and registering a combination of timidity and despairing sacrifice. The next shot would be a medium shot of an interior, the drawing-room of a home with a lady hearing a knock. Maid enters. Lady registers admit her. Then a medium close-up of me entering. Then a nine-foot shot of me in the lady meeting, the lady seating herself while I remain standing, and so forth. But come to think it over, I decided this was the kind of a sequence which ought always to be cut out in the first rushes and discarded, and that its place could be very well taken by a subtitle which would clearly cover a time-lapse and tell what happened to me after my reading that ad in the Sunday paper. And if so, the subtitle would read something like this. A week later found Bonnie Delane firmly established as a domestic servant in the home of Trixie Truman, the well-known motion picture star. End of chapter 13